0: God, as we open up your word today, my prayer is just that you would open up our hearts to hear what your son, Jesus, would say to us through your word, knowing that it is living and active, sharper than any sword we can imagine, Lord. I pray that it would cut to the bottoms of our hearts in order that your will would be done in our lives. Give us attentive minds and hearts that are eager to listen to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are probably wondering what happened with our uh, our suffering series. Uh, we'll, we'll continue that intermittently, meaning uh, every now and then we'll, we'll have a couple more. Uh, we still need to look at Paul. We still need to look at Jesus, uh, two guys who suffered quite a bit. But uh, you're probably also noticing, hey, Pastor's wearing a T-shirt this week. What's up with that? This is my walking billboard shirt. Uh, I'm a walking advertisement for what we are doing. By the way, if you guys need a fan, uh, there's one there's a standing fan here in the back room if you guys need to get up and get it It was kind of cold when I got in here this morning. It was 66 degrees uh, and now it's 71 uh, But I turned the heater on and so now some of you are hot So if you need the fan, it, it's back there 71 is nothing compared to two weeks ago when it was 75 when I was up here, which was really hot But um, but yeah, so we'll, we'll be continuing our suffering series uh, in in the coming months uh, but this week and next week, we're doing something that we have been doing for the past few years, ever since I got here. For the previous two years, and once again this year, we are participating in what is called uh, Back to Church Sunday. It's a, it's a nationwide campaign. There are over 10,000 churches across the nation uh, that are participating in this campaign. And maybe you've seen posters out here in the, the lobby area, the Narthex, or, or you know, we've got one right over here. Uh, we've, we've posted uh, reminders on our church's Facebook page. Uh, we've mentioned it in the weekly announcements. I, I've spoken with some of you privately uh, about it. Uh, but I'll be honest this year, I am praying and preparing for our most successful year in bringing guests uh, to Back to Church Sunday, uh, which is next week. It is next week. Uh, my first question for you today is, is simply this What's your attitude? about Back to Church Sunday? What's your, what's your attitude about inviting friends and family to church? Uh, and, and I'll just make this multiple choice just to keep it easy, but I'm only going to give you three possible answers. But that increases your odds of getting it right, by the way. Uh, do you love it? Do you hate it or dread it? Or are you just kind of ambivalent about it and you don't care one way or the other? It is what it is. It's just another Sunday and uh, there's nothing special about it. Um, Hold on to your answers because we're going to come back to this before we finish today. Uh, But I want us to consider the purpose. For just a moment, I want us to consider the reason that we even have something like Back to Church Sunday every year. Let's start with what it's not about. It's not about uh, you, me, or, or, or any of us, you know, in, in any way. By the way, it's, it's never about us. That's never the reason that we come here. It's never about us. Uh, it's, not about, um, it's not about entertaining ourselves. Uh, it's not about checking something off of a checklist just because we do it every year. So, check, check, well, you know, we, we did it this year. See, uh, it's, it's not about that. You see, it's, it's so easy for us to get distracted by any one of these things. It's so easy for these things to to distract us. Uh, The enemy of God, believe me, the enemy of God would would love nothing more than to distract us with these types of things and and other things as well, uh, if he gets the opportunity to do so. So Back to Church Sunday is really about refocusing. It's about getting back on track. It's about coming back to the center, the very essence of our our purpose, the, the reason that God has us here. The reason that we're doing what we're doing in the first place. So, what is that purpose? Why are we here in the first place? Why are you here today? Why are you here? Are you here because it's Sunday morning and this is just kind of what you do on Sunday mornings? Uh, in other words, are you here to mark something off of your checklist? Are you here because somebody in your family expected you to be here? You know, it's Sunday morning, I expect you to be in church. Maybe that's a spouse, maybe it's your parents could be a number of things. Are you here for that reason? Are you here uh, because you're interested in Jesus? Now listen very close to me. If you're here because you're interested in Jesus, stop being interested in Jesus. You know what the difference between interest and commitment is? The difference between interest and commitment. Ken Blanchard says this. He says, when you're interested in something, you do it only when it's convenient. When you're committed to something, you accept no excuses. So if you're here because you're interested in Jesus, quit being interested and be committed. Because that's really what it's about. It's not just a Sunday morning thing. It's a seven day a week, 24 hours a day type of thing. It's a commitment. Committed to what? Committed to the purpose for which we as a church and as individuals exist. Which is hopefully the reason you're here this morning. Which is to know Christ and to make him known. Amen? Anybody here to know Christ and make him known? That's what we're here for. That's why we exist. And Back to Church Sunday is just a reminder for us, to get us back on track, to remember that this is the mission to which we have been called that's why we emphasize inviting people back to church on back to church sunday maybe it's somebody who's never gone to church maybe it's somebody who used to go to church and they kind of know you know they know what it's all about maybe kind of but they don't go, they don't come anymore because they've kind of got their own religion and they'll you know kind of mix uh, mishmash all the all these, these different ideas together about what they should be doing and what it takes to be spiritual but let me be very close uh, very clear about something Back to Church Sunday is also not about numbers. It's not about us having, you know, something to brag about. Hey, you know, we did Back to Church Sunday and we had, uh, you know, 50% rise in attendance. No, it is not about that at all. This issue, the whole reason we do this really boils down to one very, very simple issue. Obedience obedience. Jesus said this. He said in John chapter 15, verses 8 to 10, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. The thing that strikes me about this passage is that there's a huge but very subtle emphasis on the importance of obedience. And it convicts me every time I read it, just as surely as it condemns me every single time I read it. Why? Because this is about bearing fruit. This is about bearing fruit, which serves as evidence that we're truly his disciples. Now, you might get a little bit defensive about a statement like that or a passage like this and think to yourself, you know, I don't have to prove anything to to you or, or to anyone, really. So so to whom is Jesus saying that you would prove yourself to be a disciple? To God? God knows. God knows. He sees your heart. He sees all of our hearts. He knows who the disciples are. So to whom are you proving that you're a disciple? See, we can't see the heart. All we can see is fruit. And so by bearing fruit, you are proving to the world and to your fellow Christians that you are a legitimate disciple. See, Here's the thing. Of course, you don't have to prove anything to to, to me or or to anyone, but who doesn't want to prove that they are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? Who doesn't want to prove that? I'll tell you who. The same person who doesn't like to talk about Jesus with their non-Christian friends for fear that they will offend their friends or or family members, uh, for fear that they will lose the approval of men for fear that they will lose the approval of men. And Paul said this, if I was still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. That's from Galatians 1, verse 10. And see, it's tempting to to value, to place a really high value on the applause and the approval of people rather than and over the approval of God and thus refuse to speak about Jesus. Uh, but, But the person who does this, Paul's pretty clear about this, is not a bondservant of Jesus. See, one of the great, great evidences of saving faith is somebody who loves talking about Jesus so much that it doesn't matter who they're around. They're going to be talking about Jesus because let's be honest for just a minute, we talk, we like to talk about the things that are important to us. Somebody wants to know something about me, the first thing I'll tell them, you know, I'm I'm a Christian. The second thing I'll tell them, I'm a husband. Those are my, my top two priorities following Jesus, and being a good husband to my wife. Those are the two things that are important to me. We naturally talk about the things that we love and that are important to us. Friends, listen to me. It is a dangerous, dangerous thing to sit and listen to the word of God being taught every single week. Because our reaction to it, whether it's obedience or rejection or ambivalence, that those things tell us where we are, spiritually speaking. And we'll be held accountable one day. For what we did and how we responded when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And if our response is anything less than joyful obedience, it should cause us to tremble in fear of the day that we have to stand and be held accountable before him. Well, it's all fun and games until the pastor starts talking about judgment, right? I I, I get it. (laughs) our, Our passage today, if you have your Bibles with you, Luke chapter 10. It's about the mission to which we have been called by our Lord Jesus and my hope and my prayer is that by studying this passage, we'll get a better feel, not just for the, for the purpose of things like Back to Church Sunday, which are great. It's a one-time event, but it's something that should be constant. It's, it's, it should be every week, uh, but it, it'll give us a better feel, hopefully, not just for the purpose of Back to Church Sunday, but the attitude that we should have toward it as well. Let's we'll start with Luke chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. After this, the Lord appointed 72 or 70. I'm going to stop there for a second because there are differences in the manuscripts. I believe that the, most, uh, the, the, the right one is 70, but several translations say 72. 72. Uh, I I think 70 is probably right for a lot of reasons, the importance of number 7 in scripture, for example. But this is not an issue to get tied up in uh, and and to, to quarrel about. It's just one of those things. It's probably 70. It might have been 72. We don't know. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, in response to that fact that I just talked about, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so the first thing I'm going to do this morning in light of this passage is to ask us to pray. To pray. Pray that the Lord of the harvest, pray that Jesus would send out laborers into this harvest. Now, I really want us to to think for a moment about what this means. See, we we tend to have this this field of dreams mentality when it comes to church, where we think that if, if we have everything set up just right, if we build it, they will come. Uh, you know, if, if we do this and that to our church, uh, if, if only we could have uh, this program or take out that program or revamp the worship, if only we had a, a bigger sanctuary, if only our church wasn't so old and so small, if only, you know, we had a, a more modern facility, basically. If only... Fill in the blank. If only what? They will come. And we tend to have this mindset. That, that's a Western idealism. It's not biblical in any way. It might be Western culture's idealism, but this is not how the Bible describes how church is supposed to work or how a church is supposed to grow. You don't build it and they'll come. That's putting the cart before the horse. Jesus is saying that there is an abundant harvest. The harvest is plentiful. There's more than you can even imagine out there. But in order for it to be of any use, I need to send people out there to gather it. That's what Jesus is saying. What's the harvest? The harvest is those who have not come to the point where they have put their trust for salvation in Jesus Christ. That is what the harvest is. Uh, What's a gatherer? Somebody who goes out into the harvest, they collect it, and then they bring it back. To, a, to, a, to the person who's the Lord of the harvest. Uh, and, and so the, the thing that we need to see here is uh, who, who's going to send them out? Jesus is going to send them out. And there's something of a mystery here in which God in his sovereignty asks us to pray to him before he sends out anyone to collect the harvest. Pray to him that he would send out people to collect the harvest. The harvest and this forces us to ask ourselves when was the last time you or or i prayed to the lord of the harvest to jesus to do this when was the last time we prayed for the people who are around us in here this morning that the lord would send them out to be a gatherer of the harvest when was the last time you prayed that the lord would send you out as a gatherer of the harvest now, it's almost almost ironic, kind of, that, that Jesus is saying this to the people he's already sending out. He's getting ready to send them out, and he says, pray for more. And they've got to be thinking, what? We're not good enough? <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, but he sends them out before he goes out into these towns that are scattered about throughout the region. Somehow, his purposes are going to play out here in a way that I think only Jesus, and, and only God at this point knows how this is all going to work out. But that's still how he works. Normally, he sends out before himself. He sends people out, messengers out before himself. He's, he Before he comes to someone, he sends his own people, gatherers. Now, we don't save anyone, but uh, and when we don't lead anyone to Christ. That's something that the Holy Spirit does. But he sends us out to collect and bring the harvest back to him, to, to a central location, which maybe he's talking about the church here. There's something of a mystery in the way that God works with us and, and through his people in collecting the harvest. But John said this, John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. He said, but as many as received him, Jesus, as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God, of God's will. Of God's will and his efforts. You see, no person wills on their own volition to come to God. No person wants to come to God on their very own. In Romans chapter 3, Paul says, none, none is righteous, none is good. None seeks for God, not even one. Now that sounds awful, and that sounds controversial. I understand, but scripture is very very clear on this issue those who receive christ do so by the work and the will of god the work and the will of god what's our role well he he didn't he didn't call us he doesn't send them out to get decisions from people he told us to make disciples to disciple people to teach them to to be obedient to what jesus has instructed us to do He'll take care of all the other stuff. He takes care of the person's heart and the, the, the renewing of their heart and all that stuff. He takes care of that. Our job is simply to proclaim the gospel. We're going to get to that in a moment. To proclaim the gospel and disciple people. We do that. We, we, part of that is the faithful proclamation of the gospel. But Paul adds some clarity to this, this mystery and something that he says about the Holy Spirit's role in bringing someone to Christ by writing this. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He says, In him jesus again in jesus you also after listening to the message of truth who they hear that from a person somebody some person in him you also after listening to the message of truth the gospel of your salvation having also believed you were sealed in him with the holy spirit of promise who does this work of of sealing and, and changing a person's heart the holy spirit who's given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. So where do people hear this message of truth? Where do people hear the gospel? Well, it's entirely possible they could hear it from any one of us, and they should. They should. They should hear it from us. We should present the gospel to them. But they'll also hear it week in and week out, proclaimed through the studies of the Scriptures every single week here in church, as well, And the more we hear it, here's the thing about the gospel, not only is it, does it have the power to save, but after we're saved, it has the power to change us. The more we hear it, the more we, we, we grow in it. There's, so there's something of a mystery there. But that, that change starts with the Holy Spirit working on a person's heart while we're working on their ears. He's working on their heart. We're working on their ears, faithfully proclaiming the gospel message. So our role is to faithfully proclaim the gospel, to go ahead of Christ and do this, to gather the harvest. And if we're not doing that, I can't help but think that we are in not just disobedience, but we're in willful disobedience, both individually and collectively. So collectively, we want to be doing this. We want to be emphasizing the the, the importance of reaching out, proclaiming the gospel message Gathering in the harvest. What are the vast majority of our prayers for anyway? This is a pretty simple one. We pray for things that matter to us. It's as simple as that. We pray for things that are important to us. And honestly, Scripture reveals that the lost are very important to Jesus. So the lost should be important to us as well. They should matter to us as well. See, if we're not inviting our non-Christian friends to church, if we're not faithfully proclaiming the gospel message, either the gospel message doesn't matter to us or our non-Christian friends don't matter to us. And I don't think there's a lesser of two evils between those two options, is there? So our first principle here is to pray. Pray that the Lord would send out more workers because the harvest is plentiful But there are a few who work to gather it. The harvest is out there. It's ready to be gathered. It's ripe. And for that reason, we need to pray for harvesters. We need to pray that God's people will see themselves as missionaries. Charles Spurgeon said, if you are not a missionary, you're an imposter. That's a dangerous statement, but I agree with it 100%. So we need to pray that God's people will see themselves as missionaries to their communities and that they'll be actively involved in gathering the harvest and that God will send more people to collect the harvest. Let's continue. Verses 3 to 8 in Luke chapter 10. He continu- Jesus continues speaking to these 70 or 72 that he's sending out. He says, Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack when i see all these things that the harvesters are going to be facing i think it's it's no wonder the first command the first instruction here is to pray pray that god would send more pray that god would be with the people that he sends out as well no wonder jesus tells us to pray for more harvesters and you might be tempted to think you know how mean what Jesus have to be to say, you know, don't greet somebody if they're in the if you meet them in the road, or uh, you know, how mean is it that Jesus tells them not to go from house to house? I, I've got have always wondered what what did Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons take that to mean? You know, they go door to door except to the pastor's house. Uh, you know, I, I don't know I don't know what they what they take that to mean. But the overall message here, the overall thing that Jesus is trying to say in these these five or six verses is stay focused on the mission. Stay focused on what I have instructed you to do. Stay focused on the mission. What's the mission? Forwards. I am sending you. I am sending you. See, if you greet someone on the street before you get to your destination, he's basically saying there's a, there's a good chance that you'll be distracted that you'll be sidelined because you'll be distracted because you'll want to chit-chat. They'll want to chit-chat. You greet somebody on the road, oh, hey, you know, why don't we go this way? No, I'm I'm going that way. No, let's go this way. So don't even greet anybody on the road. Don't get distracted. Stay focused on the mission. And there are two principles that I, I want to point out from this part of the text. The first is that we can expect opposition. I'm sending you like sheep into the midst of wolves. Yeah, you know, if you're a sheep being sent out among wolves, you're vulnerable. Uh, you're dinner, right? Uh, you are what's for dinner. Uh, you're a target. And it takes courage for somebody to serve God. And the longer you're in some form of ministry, the more truth you will find in, this, in the statement that you can expect opposition. Expect it. And so prepare for it. But the second principle here is don't get distracted. Don't get distracted either by people or by your possessions. That's what the, the knapsack and, and everything represents. Know this, friends. If the enemy of God cannot cause you to stumble, cannot cause you to sin, and thus lose your witness, uh, he will be more than happy to do one, or, one of two things. Either distract you so that you're, you're just sidelined by distractions, or exhaust you with discouragement, with all kinds of things. He'll be more than happy to do whatever it takes to put you on the sidelines. The mission field is in enemy territory, and the enemy will whisper all kinds of lies, all kinds of excuses in your ear to prevent you from focusing on the mission at hand think of all the excuses that we've all come up with My, I'm, I'm including myself here by the way i don't think that i'm i'm just preaching and uh that i'm above this think of all of the excuses that we've all come up with for not inviting somebody to church it boils down to the enemy of god distracting us and that's why jesus says don't bring a, a money bag don't bring a knapsack or even an extra set of sandals what, what does the money bag represent? Money, right? Money. We don't, don't bring money. Because money is a major distraction from God's mission for us. That's, no, that's number one. Uh, number two, material possessions. Don't bring any material possessions other than what you the, the basic fundamentals. But don't bring any extra material possessions. They're also a major distraction for us. We must stay focused on the mission. Like the people that Jesus is sending out, we are going out, when we go out into the community and when we speak truth into people's lives, speak the gospel into people's lives, we are going out to seek peace. Peace between people and God, first and foremost. And secondly, between ourselves and people. And we must know that at least some people will reject this peace. In John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus says, Nobody can come to him unless... The Father who sent Jesus first draws them. So there's, it's like a prerequisite class for those of you who are like in high school. And when you go into college, you'll, you'll really get killed with prereqs, man. It's like you've got to take all, you know, six classes before you take one class. And it's like, oh, okay, well, here's a prerequisite. Before a person can come to Jesus, God must draw them. The Father must draw them. And nobody can come to him without getting through that prerequisite. Our calling is to know him and to make him known. But if the father is not drawing a person to Jesus, they will have no interest in what you have to say. In fact, they will be offended by what you have to say. The results, however, keep this in mind. This is very important. The results, whether they say, great, I want to know more, or... Dude, get out of my face. Whatever they say, the results are not up to you. They're not in your hands in any way, shape, or form. All God asks us to do is to be faithful with what he has commissioned us to do, what he has sent us out to do, which is to go out, proclaim the gospel message, and gather in the harvest that's ripe. Pray and stay focused on the mission. Don't get sidelined by distractions. Let's continue. Verses 9 through 11. He continues saying, heal the sick in it, in the towns that you go to. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets. Go out into the public square and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near." Now, many would say, based on this passage and and some others that are in Scripture, that that all believers uh, are are supposed to be capable of healing the sick. We've kind of been talking about that in in our suffering series. Uh, However, these, these people that Jesus is sending out, the 70 or 72, they were specifically commissioned with the power to work signs and wonders because without miracles as a means of validating their message, nobody would believe them. If you look at all the miracles in the Bible, every single one of them was to accompany a message. It was to add uh, validity to the message in the listener's ears. These healings weren't simply to take place you know, for the, just for the sake of healing somebody and you know, showing God's mercy to others. This ability was given to them so that people would believe them when they told them that the kingdom of God was near, that the time for the long-awaited Messiah had finally come. And the important thing for us to see, the application of this passage lies in the fact that Jesus tells them to specifically do more than just preach. Do more than just you know, give them lip service. He's basically saying, make this proclamation in your actions and with your lips. And every single one of us Every person who has trusted in Jesus Christ for their salvation has been given some type of gifting in order to serve others, in order to minister to others. And whatever it is, we need to be using it for God's glory, even with the people who may not be very interested in what your gifting is or where it came from. So pray, stay focused on the mission, and proclaim the message, not only with your lips, with your lives the message of the kingdom of god coming near to a person really serves as a proverbial line in the sand this is saying hey this is where we separate things this is where you're there i'm here and i want you over here with me because the calling is really for submission to jesus submit to jesus repent believe submit to jesus and so there is judgment that comes with rejecting Jesus. And when a person refuses and refuses and refuses, Jesus is basically saying there very well may come a time when you need to simply pack up and go. You may need to simply leave the matter between them and the Lord. And here we go. Pastor's talking about judgment again. Yeah, the time might come when that might be what you have to do. Just forget it. You know, you've wasted a lot of You've spent a lot of time here, and it's been fruitless. might feel like it's wasted. You don't know. We don't know. Because God can only see a person's heart. All we can see is what's on the outside. But in your mind, you've wasted all this time on this person. And, you know, when you get to the point where it's just getting discouraging and you can't go on anymore and you just don't feel motivated to do it, it may be time to just send your efforts elsewhere and leave the matter between that person and God. Because you've planted the seed. And that's all that you're asked to do. Jesus recognized this as a very real possibility. And so their instructions were to move on if the message would not be welcomed. Jesus continues, saying, verses 12 to 15, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you and you, Capernaum. Will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. Now we all recognize the name Sodom here. Of course, that was a town that was burned to the ground in God's temporal judgment, his his judgment on earth because of the greatness of their sin. And it's a town uh, that even to this day lives on in infamy. It's notorious. They're they're, they're famous for uh, for their evil. Uh, Sodom faced God's judgment then and Jesus is reminding us they will face it again on Judgment Day. However, Sodom was never so blessed to have witnessed the the ministry and the miracles of Jesus. Like these other towns that are specifically mentioned here, they were were just raw pagans. They they believed whatever they wanted to believe and did whatever they wanted to do. They didn't have churches scattered all over the region like we do here in America. Everywhere. 300,000 churches in America. 300,000. See, everyone, no matter where they are, everyone has spiritual light. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 21 says that God makes his existence evident so that nobody can stand before him someday and say, I I never had any reason to believe in you. So everybody's got some type of spiritual light. And thus uh, you know Sodom is going to be judged for rejecting that light because they obviously had some too. Uh, But the more spiritual light a person or a community is given, the greater their punishment will be, the greater the consequences will be for rejecting that light. And for that reason, those who hear the gospel message and see the workings of Jesus' people, the people that Jesus is commissioning, will face a harsher punishment, face a harsher judgment, because they did see the works of Christ. They did hear the gospel message, and they rejected it anyway. You know, we have churches all over the place and we've got Christians all over the place. Nobody will have an excuse for rejecting Jesus and, the, the, and just remaining ignorant about the gospel, especially those who live in places like America where there are churches everywhere and there are Christians everywhere. You know, I was recently talking with a friend who was telling me about a conversation she had with an atheist who, who re, you know, he obviously rejects Christianity, but at least in part, part of his reasoning is, well, you know, miracles don't happen anymore. And the implication there is, you know, if only miracles still happened, uh, you know, maybe I'd believe in God. Uh, Now, I don't agree with the premise, first of all, that miracles don't happen anymore. But the truth is that even witnessing miracles firsthand won't be enough to convince the hard-hearted. Jesus said this, "If if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Luke chapter 16, verse 31. You know, as somebody who's trained in apologetics, formally, classically uh, trained in apologetics, man, this this verse gets me. You can reason with somebody all you want. They could even see a miracle. And it doesn't mean anything to them necessarily. It doesn't mean that they're going to believe. And the miracles here add to the validity of the message being proclaimed. But only if a person, A, is not hard-hearted, and B, is being drawn by the Father. The hard-hearted will refuse to submit to Jesus no matter what. Be ready for that. Be ready for that because it will happen. But know one thing. To reject the message that you proclaim, to reject the gospel message, and the evangelistic efforts that you put forth, whether that's inviting them to church or whatever it might be, your efforts, uh, if they're rejected, are, it's not a rejection of you. They're rejecting Jesus. Jesus says this finally, Luke chapter ten, verse sixteen: "The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me." I know that it'll feel like they're rejecting you. I know that. I know how hard that. I know how hard we take it when that happens. But Jesus is reminding us here: it's not about you. You are speaking for me. Is what Jesus is saying here. If they hear you, they hear me, Jesus says. So they're rejecting him. And not just him, they're rejecting God altogether. So the final principle that I, that I want to close here with, uh, uh, with today is just the fact that there's an urgency to this message, an urgency to the gospel. So why should you invite somebody to church, uh, whether it's next week or ever? Uh, number one, they will hear the gospel message here. Every week we teach straight from the scriptures, we, t- we teach uncompromised truth here, week in and week out. Number two, tomorrow is not guaranteed. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. We do not know, who, who in here knows the day that they're going to die? Who in here can tell me their birthday? You know, a- a- everybody, right? Who in here can tell me the day that they're going to die? Nobody. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. We can put off inviting someone until the day that they die, right? That would maybe be, be less confrontational, but who wants to live with that on their conscience? Who wants to live with that? Number three, if they become saved by God's grace through faith, it's important that they have a body of believers to disciple them, to encourage them, to build them up, and to be a part of. Number four, it'll increase the number of harvesters that we have. We're praying for more people to be sent out into the harvest, Obviously, the more people we have, the more people we can pray to be sent out into the harvest. Number five, people are more likely to come to to church when they are specifically and personally invited by an individual. It's kind of like, you know, going to the gym. The first time I was invited to go to the gym, I was like, "Um, I don't think so. You know, and I I didn't want to go by myself because I wasn't sure what to expect. But so finally, one of my buddies is like, okay, come on, come to the gym with me, you know, it's, it's no big deal. You know, I, I was a, a scrawny little, like, 155, 160 pounder. I'm like, dude, I can't even bench, bench press 100 pounds back then. Uh, so, yeah, it was uncomfortable for me, but having a friend there, having a friend invite me and come with me made it a lot more uh, comfortable for me. The truth is, you know, we can, we can make up all kinds of excuses for why we don't invite people to church, but there is a definite urgency to it so let me bring us full circle and ask what is your attitude towards something like back to church sunday do you love it do you hate it do you just feel ambivalent you don't care about it you you should have the same urgency about it and and inviting people every week as you would if you know uh, your, your neighbor's house was on fire and they were stuck inside and there was only one way out how urgent would you feel then it's the same urgency we should feel about inviting people to church and spreading the gospel message. And so there are four thoughts that, from this passage that I want to I close with. Number one, we need to increase our vision for the harvest, both here and around the world. It's not just about us. It's about God's kingdom around the world. It's great to be a church that supports foreign missionaries. I am 100% behind that. But it's hypocritical for us to say that we support mission work, and yet we don't engage in any mission work ourselves at home. A great commission is not to send a check out every month. I'm not saying we shouldn't send a check out every month. That's great. We want to support foreign missions, of course, absolutely. But we also need to be practicing what we preach. It means actively engaging and working in the harvest here in Linwood, here in the greater Seattle area. We need to pray that the Lord would launch more harvest workers. And we need to be ready to go ourselves. Number two, spend time with people who don't know Jesus. And if you don't have any friends who don't know Jesus, make some. It's not difficult. There are plenty of them out there. You probably have something in common with them. Some of them you may have a whole lot in common with. If we don't have any non-Christian friends, we need to get out of our comfort zones and make some. Number three, how people respond to the gospel or, or simply the invitation to go to church is in their hands. They're the ones who are going to have to answer for that someday. It's, it's their responsibility. Some people may get angry. Some people may be interested. There's that word again. And some may even end up surrendering their lives to him. Whatever the case, the results of your work are not in your hands. And that brings us to number four, and that is that I am only responsible for how I respond to God sending us out. Sending me out. Am I joyfully obedient? Am I, am I apprehensive? Uh, am I afraid? Am I, am I just outright rebellious? Do I have this attitude that I, I just couldn't care less? Does my heart reflect God's heart when it comes to intentionally seeking out the lost? You know, we, we like to overcomplicate things. Uh, you know, like, oh, man, I, I've got to have this, you know, fancy schmancy way to invite somebody to church. But but it's, it's really pretty easy. It, it goes something like this. You know, it can be as simple as this. Hey, you want to go to church? I'm going on Sunday morning. You want to go to church? And, and we've got something here to make it even easier for you guys. We've got these cards. Back to church Sunday cards. <clears throat> In fact, I'm going to put them right here. So you can come up and grab some after the service. And what you do is you just put hey, want to go to church? You can put our, our address or directions to our church here on the back. I think we've got about 50 of them there. Uh, so if you need more, like if you if you get down to the last one, let us know and we'll make photocopies of some more. But what's the worst that could happen if you invite somebody to church? If you invite them to partake in what matters to you, or should matter to you, more than anything in the world? Don't allow yourself to get sidetracked or distracted by excuses. There is no such thing as the perfect church. If you're waiting for us to be the perfect church before you invite somebody, <laughs> keep waiting. Keep waiting. In fact, I you know, I would even go so far as to say this may be uh, the greatest chance of the year, if not, you know, the, the three years that I've been here to invite somebody to church. First of all, you know, we're getting ready to start up small groups in the coming weeks, and this will give your friends, and and you by the way, uh, an opportunity to start at the same time that everybody else does. Uh, in fact uh, don't forget today after church we're having a meeting about that talking about small groups and talking about the future of our Sunday school program here at the church uh, just an informal discussion uh, not not an official business meeting or anything like that but what a great time for people to come in and get plugged in right when we're getting ready to start small groups secondly our, our youth ministry is getting ready to start back up in the next couple of weeks uh, and again you know, you guys know that when, when you when you start, you know, a, you know, a curriculum or whatever we're doing, a study that we're doing for uh, for our, our surge group, uh, you, you want to be there at the beginning so that you don't miss any of this stuff. Uh, again, you know, this gives them the opportunity to get in when everybody else is starting at the same time. Uh, our women's ministry is getting ready to start up again. Talk to Rebecca Smyre about when that's going to happen. Uh, we're getting ready to start a sermon series in the next couple of weeks that I promise you If you apply the principles that we'll be talking about in this sermon series, it will change your life. It's called uh, Clean Hands, Pure Hearts clean hands pure hearts it's going to be about idolatry it's going to be a, a really fun series but i think we're going to we're going to see things in a different light and hopefully get a new way of looking at ourselves our relationship with god and the things that we value you know we, we have we also have a lot of uh, ways for people to get involved there are a lot of good good reasons to get people coming to church but the greatest reason of all for inviting someone to church or sharing the gospel with them is that it is an act of obedience to what our Lord Jesus Christ has commissioned us, has sent us out to do, seeking the lost. It's what Jesus came to do. It's what he calls us to do today. The harvest is plentiful. We just need to be a people who are willing to get out there and gather it. And Sam, uh, I know that I I came up here before that first video. So let's just, can we play both videos? Okay, after I pray, we'll play both videos. We've got a couple of videos for you guys. But Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you just for who you are, for being a good God. We thank you for sending your Son, and we thank you, Lord Jesus, for sending us. We thank you for what you did to redeem us, and Lord, we pray that we would share our joy and share this message of salvation successfully with others, Lord. We pray for more harvesters to be sent out into the harvest, Lord. Not that we would find glory in it, but that we would find joy in bringing glory to you. May our lives be completely about you, focused on you, Lord. Prevent us from being distracted. Prevent us from from coming up with endless excuses for, for not doing what you have sent us to do. Lord, our lives are about you. We want to live for you. We want to be changed by you. We want to grow in you, and we pray, Lord, that through our working with you, we would grow in you, we would come to know you even better, and that this world, the harmony, would come to know you. you. This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world you can go to our website biblestudypodcasts.org and you can make a donation on the right hand side by clicking on the support box again we do rely on your support and we thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times god bless you thank you so much for listening today and keep drawing closer Take me deeper